Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. As we look at this book that is 3,500 years old, and it spans 2,000 years, second longest in the Bible, and it gives us so much valuable insight into mankind's beginnings. In fact, today we're going to look at a new beginning because the book of Genesis is beginnings, but it also has lots of new beginnings in it. And we're going to look at one today in a couple of minutes. The book of Genesis, we're looking at the first 12 chapters. That's why in the book you have, we've printed 12 chapters. And it teaches us about creation, about life, about sex, about gender, about violence, about crime, murder, good and evil, giving, sin and salvation, uh, the flood and the formation of nations, and then in chapter 12, the formation or the beginning of the formation of the nation of Israel. And we discovered, let me emphasize this, that sin is the number one problem in the world, not social conditions or even poverty. Sin is at the root of every problem in the world. And we keep being told that if we could just equalize the distribution of money across the world, and if we could just be nice and kind to each other on social media, we'd solve the world's problems, that there's sin in the heart of man, and man has never been good, and uh, the thing with Genesis, and I've discovered this as I've preached on it, people have had like aha moments as they've listened. You know why? It's because we have lost sight of truth. It's almost like during the time of the Reformation. Do you remember Martin Luther re, um, re-energized the church by bringing out that we are saved by faith and that it's by faith alone? And that was like a whole new revelation of a basic truth that was already in the Bible. We need that again today when it comes to the basics of the Lord because we've so lost sight of it in this modern world, in the modern church. Ken Ham, who has written a lot on creation And uh, understanding the book of Genesis, he says it's time for a new reformation in the church to call the church back to the authority of the Word of God beginning in Genesis. Well, that's what I've been trying to do. And we must believe the Bible as authoritative, as the Word of God, not as just suggestions for a religion. Are you with me? Before I get to reading our text today, let me say a number of important things by way of introduction. And I want to read a verse here and talk about believing the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.14. Paul's referring to the Old Testament here, and he says, but as for you, in contrast to the culture, as for you, continue in what you have learned. Don't change it, and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Then he makes this statement, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. Church is a place where we train in righteousness. Are you with me? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you know, I've discovered that when people don't believe the book of Genesis and they don't believe the scriptures as inspired, the reason is is because they've got an alternative lifestyle that they want to pursue. There's certain sins they want to entertain. There's certain attitudes they want to entertain. They don't want to give, so they make a religion of their own making with little pieces of the Bible, 
but it's not the full puzzle. How many of you have seen a puzzle on a table? A couple of pieces don't make the picture. You need all the pieces. And guess what? There's nothing worse than a whole puzzle and one piece is missing. We need all the pieces from Scripture, not just one. And let's not look for loopholes and for excuses. And uh, one of the great excuses is evolution. We, we evolved. We came from the slime. Then we walked on the planet and then we stood upright. And then suddenly after being apes and being idiots and scratching under our arms and grunting and, and weeing everywhere, we suddenly became intelligent and we invented the cell phone and we went to the moon. Isn't that incredible? Ken Ham says this in his book, Answers in Genesis. He says, there's no known observable process by which new genetic information can be added to an organism's genetic code, let alone how that information could arise from random chemicals in the first place. 98% similarity between human and chimp DNA is often cited. Now people say, we just like the, you know, there's a 98% similarity. He says the difference actually represents millions of letters of difference, and many differences are not represented in the 98% similarity. He says this is actually strong evidence for a common designer who used common building blocks in his design but gave humanity characteristics unlike any other creature he made. We are unique under God and responsible to God. Are you with me today? And the important thing for us to understand as we read the Bible today again, and we're reading, going to read about the flood, is that man has never been good. He started well and he went downhill. And he's not good and getting better. He started at a little bit lower than the angels. And he's becoming more like an animal. He's technologically advanced but morally depraved. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Solomon says, This only I have found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. You can see that in South Africa. And so before we get to read about the flood, here's the important thing. It's not because I'm telling you that it's correct or because we're even reading it in the scriptures, but here's the thing. Jesus endorsed the flood. If someone endorses something, you've you got to look at their lives and say, can I trust them? Well, I think you can trust Jesus because he said he'd die and then he'd rise again, and he did. Do you know anyone else like that? So I reckon the words of Jesus are very, very important when it comes to the flood. And the New Testament speaks about the flood, and it compares it, interestingly, to the church. Isn't that interesting? So we're going to look at a number of interesting things. You look at Matthew 24, Jesus speaking here. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Then he emphasizes, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now notice this, two men will be in the field. In other words, they'll be at work. One will be taken, the other left. There'll be a separation. Not everybody's going to be saved. Not everyone will, God, I love you, I love you, I love you. Oh, yeah, you've got good intentions. Come. No, you're going to be walking around the office going, where's the manager? Where's the man? Have you anyone you see? No, he just disappeared. You either believe this or you don't. He goes on to say here, two women will be grinding with a hand mill. 
That's like in an office or in a factory or in the home. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. There will be a separation of sheep and goats. There will be a judgment day. There will be the Lord returning for his people, and you need to be ready and keeping your eyes on him and trusting him and not deviating into all sorts of things that the world is telling you to deviate into. Notice the exact parallel between the church and the flood in 1 Peter chapter 3. Are you all with me? He says, those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Watch what he says. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. How many of you know that everything in the Old Testament is a type of something in the New? Did you know that the ark, before we even read about it, is a picture of the church? The church is a vessel imperfect, full of animals. And you know where you've got animals, you've also got other stuff. So the church is full of... And then people criticize it. What did you expect? It's still a vehicle of salvation. And it's God's design. Now you can ignore church and not come to church and criticize the church and go play golf on a Sunday or have all sorts of other ideas, but it's God's only vehicle for salvation is Jesus Christ and his church. And there's coming a time of judgment on this planet, whether you believe it or not. It will happen. And so the ark here, God makes very specific, and you'll notice eight, a number of new beginnings. There's a flood, Noah starts, God starts through Noah, and this is a picture of new beginnings, and that's a picture of our salvation. So we're going to start eventually now in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. You say it's about time. And we're going to read quite a number of verses. Are you ready? And you've got your book open, hopefully. And it says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Remember Enoch walked faithfully with God? Here Noah, and this is why Noah was selected, because of his righteousness. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and he had them when he was 500 years old. You can read that in chapter 5 and verse 32. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Isn't it? Just pause it for a moment. No one lived in a township. There were no dirty conditions. There was no social condition. It's the heart of man that produces sin. Stop blaming the wrong reason for why we've got corruption in South Africa. We have got sinners in government. And no matter what you do, unless you deal with the heart, sin will always rule and damage everything. And here, just 10 generations in, we see that the earth was full of corruption. I'm so tired of hearing, watching the news and hearing us, corruption, and we're going to deal with corruption. You need people to repent. When I see them all coming to church and coming to the front or kneeling down or raising their hands for salvation, then I'll have hope. In the meantime, you can carry on talking until the cows come home. Gender-based violence, we read it in the Bible. It started early on because unless this is changed, you'll never cure social ills. We have politicians and sinners telling us how they're going to solve the sin problem without a spiritual cure. Are you hearing me? And we've got to be able to look through all that noise and say, God, we trust you. We look to you today. The Bible says, God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on earth, watch this, had corrupted their ways. The original Hebrew implies that not, not that they were just doing bad things, but a culture of evil had, had, 
had prevailed. Just like South Africa, we've got a culture of corruption, a culture of evil had set in, and God saw no way for it to be solved. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. By the way, violence is the ultimate result of selfishness. When you can't get your way, you resort to violence. And the scripture says here that the Lord said, I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. The Hebrew word Aaron means chest or coffin. That's why if you come to church and you don't like what you hear, we're here to kill you. Come and die. That's what the Bible teaches. You come die to self and you obey God. Isn't that true? And it's not easy to die. He says, of cypress wood. Now, they use this word here, but it's actually gopher in the, in the original Hebrew. We don't know what kind of wood it is, but certainly they use cypress in the NIV because it's the most durable wood you can use for building ships. And he says, make rooms in it, or nests, the original Hebrew says, and coat it with pitch inside and out. Make a note in your margin. It's the word kopher, K-O-P-H-E-R. The word pitch, kopher, is the exact same word used for covering as in the atonement. Isn't that interesting? So God tells him to pitch it, and it wasn't made from coal, by the way, or oil like pitch today. It was actually made from the sap of uh, pine trees. And for many, many years until the discovery of oil, they used that to seal wooden ships. And here God tells him, and God seals him in. And the Bible says this interestingly in Luke 22, Jesus speaking, he says, this cup is God's new covenant sealed with my blood, which is poured out for you. Chapter 6 and verse 15, are you still with me? Now watch what God says. This is how you are to build it. Now this is not just, just build a boat and then we read on about the animals. No, no, specifics. He says the ark is to be 300 cubits long. You all know a cubit. 155 meters. 50 cubits wide, that's 26 meters. And 30 cubits high, that's 15 and a half cubits wide. Uh, sorry, high. Uh, perfect shipbuilding proportions. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around, like for breathing. Watch this. Put a door in it. Not doors. Put a door. I mean, you know Jesus is the door, John chapter 10? He's the only door for the church. Hmm? You can come in and out the building, but to get into the church as a born-again Christian, you need Jesus the door. I am the door, he says. And uh, in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Let's read on. You are to bring the ark into the ark, two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You see, when it comes to being saved, you can't be saved the way you think it should be. You've got to do everything exactly as God says it should be. You can't go to India and find a guru or travel to a spa and lie in the sun with hot stones on you and feel that you are one with nature and you feel one with God. You can't get up to the Grammys and declare, I thank God, the God of my imagination. You've got to come through the door, Jesus, because there's only one vessel that saves you from the flood of judgment. Are you getting this? It's amazing how we've gone so off track in our world. Why? Because we've lost sight of the type in Genesis. 
And here the Lord explains to him, just by the way, the Hebrew word for ark is both Aaron, but another word is used, teba, T-E-B-A-H, T-E-B-A-H. And it really means this, lifeboat. Lifeboat. Isn't that interesting? And uh, how many of you remember that when God told Moses later to build the ark of the covenant, that chest in the holy valleys, he also gave him very specific measurements. You see, when it comes to salvation, it comes to atonement, God is very specific. He doesn't just say, whatever way you want, you know, run up the mountain, climb a tree. No, no, you've got to do what he says if you want to be saved. And here, this ark must have taken, they say, between 55 and 75 years to build because Noah was 500 when he had his sons and they could have, you know, they would have just been kids but by the time he started building till 600 years old when he went into the ark, about 55 to 75 years he worked on this boat. Now, here's an interesting thing. There's a Korean uh, in 1993 and in, again in 2005, they, they, they developed a research in, institute with a Dr. Sian Wong Hong, a, a Korean man, a principal research scientist. He headed up the Noah's Ark investigation studies, got a BS degree in naval architecture, from Seoul National University and a PhD in applied mechanics from the University of Michigan. And Dr. Hong's team uh, compared 12 hulls of different proportions to discover which design was most practical for a ship. No hull shape was found to significantly outperform the 4,003-year-old biblical design. Isn't that incredible? In fact, the ark's careful balance is easily lost if the proportions are modified rendering the vessel either very unstable or prone to fracture or dangerously uncomfortable. It would bob up and down. The, the research team found that the proportions of Noah's Ark carefully balanced the conflicting demands of stability, comfort, and strength. In fact, the Ark has the same proportions as a modern cargo ship today. The study also confirmed that the Ark could handle waves as high as 30 meters. And there's a full-scale reconstructed model of the ark in Cincinnati, which Apostle Bowman and I later in the year are going to visit. And they've actually built the ark there, and it, it, it is on show. And here you can see how uh, they've just taken it away, the difference between modern ships and the ark. And uh, the Apologetics Press wrote an article on it, and forgive me for quoting all these things, but it's very important. Shipbuilders during World War II used approximately the same ratio to build a ship known as the SS Jeremiah O'Brien. And uh, it was a barge-like boat built to carry tremendous amounts of cargo, just like the Ark. And how did Noah know the perfect sea-going ratio in building the Ark? A man called Isambard Brunel built his giant ship, the Great Britain, using almost the exact ratio of the Ark, 35-3. Others like him had many generations of shipbuilding knowledge to use, but Noah's Ritley was the first ship of its kind. Where did he get such information, they ask? From the master builder. Now, I'm giving you just a tip of the iceberg here. You need to do some study on this yourself. Can I just mention this, and this is not to be arrogant. I've been in the ministry 40 years, and I've been preaching and teaching and reading this stuff for a long, long time. There is overwhelming evidence that this was God's design. It's amazing that they can't better that ratio even today. And you know, if this was just a myth, he would just say, build a ship. And Noah built a ship. And the animals came. No, but it gives you dimensions. It gives you timelines. It makes perfect sense. And it's, it's God showing 
that this thing is, is real and not some kind of earth. Now, here's the interesting thing when God told Noah to do it. I want you to catch this, Hebrews 11 verse 7, because again in the New Testament, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Now, I want you to notice, as he built the ark, or as we build the church, by his faith, what did he do? He condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. You see, when you trust what God says, and you don't use your own logic, and you say, you're telling me to do this, my word, are you really going, no, are you serious? Are you, can you imagine the dialogue with God? And the Lord says, I'm going to do it, I'm fed up. Hmm? And then by faith, he starts year after year, after year, and guess what? As you build God's church and you tell people this is the only way, they get upset. Why? Because your actions condemn them. Stop trying to make people happy. Do you know that over the last couple of weeks, yeah, you can clap. The next service is a lot quieter than you. This is, this is like the church that's like, yes, amen. Okay, carry on. Let me tell you this. Do you know that over the last few weeks on our different campuses, as we preached on Genesis, people have got up and walked out because they cannot handle. Because when you teach truth by doing God's will, by being in church, by giving money, by putting the church first, you are naturally condemning them because it's an alternative. And then people tell you, you're condemning, you're bigoted, you're hateful. No, we're not. We're just doing His will. And if you perceive it like that... It's your issue, not ours. Imagine how many people had dialogued with Noah. What are you doing? I'm building a ship. What's that? It's going to flood. What's that? It's going to rain. What's that? You see, it doesn't make sense. Stop trying to bridge the gap. Hmm? Churches have desperately, listen to me today, churches have desperately tried to be so relevant and bridge the gap and embrace the Oscars, and embrace the Grammys, and we can relate to the world, eventually you lose all truth. You don't know who you are. We've got to build the ark, the church of God. It's the only means of salvation. Now let's read on 7 verse 1. Are you still there? The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal. Notice that? Clean animal a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal. You can, if you're writing in the margin, Leviticus 11, you'll see what clean and unclean is. It later would be discussed, and obviously when the book of Genesis was written, the Lord already been given, and they understood that clean animals you could eat, unclean you couldn't eat. So for instance, you don't eat an owl, you don't eat an eagle, uh, but you can, eat a, you can eat a chicken, because those, those eat rats and rodents, and you can get poisoned. And so there's certain foods the Lord said you shouldn't eat because at that time, for health regulations, they understood the difference. And he says, a male and its mate, also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. It's God's prerogative. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old, when the floodwaters came on the earth. Can you see how specific the Bible is? It's not random. It doesn't say Noah was an old man. It dates it. 
And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wife entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals of birds and all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah. I want you to underline that. They came to Noah. Because people have objections, you know. What about the polar bear? Oh, I caught you there, eh? God sent them. And the land, by the way, we believe the land mass at this time before the flood was one. And that after the flood, there was a time where it was linked together and then it broke up. That's how you end up with animals on every continent. I don't have time to explain all that to you. just want you to trust me here this morning because I'm a pastor and I know better. No, no, no. <laughs> just making sure you're listening. There's so much here that we can't unpack in one short morning. This is Bible study for weeks that I'm trying to condense. So they came to Noah, and watch, as God commanded Noah. So God commands you to do something, he will make it happen. And after seven days, the floodwaters came in the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, I want you to underline that, 17th day of the second month, that's Nisan, very important, I'll discuss it later. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, so underground, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. Where, have you, where anywhere else have you heard of the floodgates of heaven? Book of Malachi, where the Lord says, I'll open this kind of blessing on you if you keep tithing. Amazing. Only twice in the Bible is this term used. And the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on that very day, Noah and his son Shemham and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. You still with me? Let's go on. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moved along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah, notice that, came to Noah and entered the ark. He didn't have to chase after them. Come here, coo, coo, coo. No, don't fly away. Hugh, grab him, jump on them. Shoop. No, they just came. They just came. They just came at the direction and the word of God. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded. They reckon uh, in excess, some, some people say 7,000, some scientists say up to 20,000, but somewhere around there was the amount of animals on the ark, and they've worked out that the ark could hold it. By the way, the ark wasn't that little thing you see in the cartoons with the giraffe's neck sticking out, like, give me a breath, you know, and the elephant, this is stifling, it was pretty large. <laughs> no, it's just that these comedy, you know, these pictures from children's church. Then the Lord shut him in. Isn't that interesting? For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. Watch this. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Can we go on? They rose greatly on the earth, watch this, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. Now he says here, the waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. You all know what a cubit is, eh? No, you don't. It's about seven meters above the highest mountain on the earth. How many of you know that's a hang of a lot of water? Wait, 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 listen, listen. I want you to grasp this because this is something most people don't think about. Can you imagine the weight of that water? How many of you know how heavy a bucket of water can be? Have you ever tried to move a bath that's full of water? You just about can't. You have a bath standing outside filled with water. You try and move it even in your bathroom. You can't. So can you imagine the weight of that on vegetation, on dead animal skeletons? That's where you get fossils from. Very simple. They didn't die and lie there. 
And then over millions of years, and dust landed on them. No, no, try it with your cat. When your cat dies, just lie him in the garden. And see if in 20 years' time, you will find there him all fossilized with dust on him. It won't happen. The mice and the rats and the insects eat him up, and it pongs. No, no, listen. The stuff that intelligent people tell us and that we are supposed to believe is mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. This is where the fossils come from. That's why you find, listen, that's why you find when you go to the Alps and the Himalayas, you find shells up there. Do you, how do you think they got up there? Do you think some wind blew them up there? No, it's from the flood. The Bible says it covered the mountains. And it's not just on one mountain. It's in the Himalayas. It's in the Alps. There's beds of shells, masses of fossils. This stuff most people don't read about or know. But it's good for you as Christians to know it. Now let me go on because I've got a limited amount of time and I need to read very fast. Verse 21. Every living thing that moved on the land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all of mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped up. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark and the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Five long months. Can you imagine how dark and gloomy can you imagine the smell? Can you imagine what was floating in that water? Can you imagine the depressing time? They, they were in that ark for about a year. It, 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 it must have been a gruesome and, and scary thing. And uh, there must have been a great sense of loss. I, I reckon there would have been ash clouds in the sky. And the heavens would have changed. And, and, and because the sky collapsed, as it were, the water canopy around the earth that existed, that's why there was one temperature. That was gone. And so now there would have been, there would have been extremes. And, and everything would have been very, very different. And here we read a lot of specifics. And, and, and can I say this? This is not the one account of this. This is throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament. Look what the psalmist says about this actual event here in Psalm 104. You still with me? He says, he set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. Watch this. The water stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. This judgment took place and then when it was over, God allowed all that water to recede, and he put it in his assigned place. If you think of the body of the ocean, think about the ocean. It is massive. But yet when you go down to the water's edge, and then at night, and then when it, when it comes up another meter, ah, global warming, global warming. Do you know how much water is behind there? You're lucky it didn't flood your whole house. It's a marvel that this fallen planet is regulated the way it is. It's the hand of God. It's not perfect, but it's the hand of God. You see, we see here a pattern of judgment and mercy. And God loves his planet, so he will judge, but he will judge it because he's a God of love, but he's also a God of mercy. He saw it with Cain and Abel. God said, Cain did this, but I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to put a mark on him. And then he left the presence of the Lord. There was judgment with mercy. When, when there was, uh, when there was uh, uh, a, a flood, God says, I'm going to judge the planet, but I'm going to show mercy. And when it comes to the end times, God's, God says, I'm going to judge the planet, but I'm going to show mercy to my church. And I've created a vessel 
for them to be saved. Even Sodom and Gomorrah, remember when God judged them? He called Lot out. Why? Because Lot was righteous. There was mercy, but there was also judgment. 2 Peter chapter 2, are you still with me? And verse 5, it says, If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He condemned the world by building an ark, and he showed that there's only one way for us to be saved. Now, just to answer a couple of quick objections here, because people have objections to the flood. Um, I spoke about the polar bear already. Here's the interesting thing. People say, well, where are the dinosaurs? Well, did you know that dinosaurs could be about the size of a large tiger when they are young and reproducible age? So no, it wouldn't have taken the old dinosaurs. Come here, old man. Uh, no, you would have taken the babies, and they would have been on the ark. And then post-flood, there was not as much vegetation and protein on the planet, so maybe that's why they died off, because many things have died off. How, how many of you know that uh, uh, the mammoth, the woolly mammoth has died off, so has the, the, the dodo? And things become extinct because of, so, uh, because of conditions on the earth, not because man hunted them or because, you know, man's this evil creature on the planet and the animals were here first. Things naturally die off because the planet is in wind down. The second law of thermodynamics is in operation. Are you with me? And so don't look for loopholes and try and find reasons. Also, many flood stories do exist, but they were written post the flood, like the uh, famous one, the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the Babylonian writings about the flood. But guess what? It's the only Babylonian writing that talks about judgment. No other Babylonian writings talk about judgment at all. And it's slightly changed and differed, but it is basically the flood because of man's evil. In Chinese tradition, you also get it, but it was written after the flood. They didn't have a flood before. Isn't it interesting that they are recording something called a flood? It's part of what happened on the planet. Are you with me? And so it's very important to see here. And, and here's an interesting thing. When you look at the planet, there's so much evidence of the flood. Look at the Grand Canyon. You know, to, to think that the Grand Canyon, that little river did that. Why doesn't this Yixke do it? I've been here living here 30 years. It hasn't changed much. No, this is the water that traveled through the planet and carved the mountains and made the things. Now, here's an interesting thing. All the coal that, that we have and all the oil that we have, guess where it came from? It's all the vegetation that was destroyed that was compressed by the water and turned into oil. That's where we get oil from. That's why under the Sahara Desert, you've got oil. Wherever there's deserts, why? Because the vegetation on top was flooded and compressed and turned into fossils. And here's an interesting thing which many people don't know is that when they have mined coal, and this has happened at two kilometers under the ground, they have found jewelry embedded in the coal and modern-type machinery artifacts embedded in the coal. They found a 10-meter gold chain inside coal. If that took millions and millions of years, well, then man was living. Was he an ape then? Was he, <laughs> buy me some jewelry. <laughs> it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> no, don't be ridiculous. We believe such far-fetched stuff when the Bible is so clear and the evidence is overwhelming. If you don't believe me, go online and look up this stuff and do your own research. The Bible is true, but here's the thing. The church is a picture of the ark. The church is God's specific vessel of, of salvation, and it only has one door. Is it a mess inside? 
Can it stink at times? Can people oh, growl at each other? I don't think all the animals lay down and are like, oh, it's so cool to be here. Mr. Tiger, the deer says, oh, it's so nice lying down next to you. We could, we could be friends. No, I think there must have been. And God settled it because it was his vehicle. There's going to be tensions among races and ages and cultural levels. And it's not going to be perfect, but it is the only vessel with the only door Jesus as a means of salvation. You see, the reason we don't believe this stuff is not because it's hard to understand. It's because we refuse to believe it. As I wrap up here today, I'm nearly done. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. Has this helped you today? And I, forgive me, we're doing it so fast. But, but 2 Peter 3 and verse 5, Peter says this. He says, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, watch this, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. We read that in Genesis 1. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, not global warming, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You see, future judgment is coming. It's not that people believe this because science has proved it wrong. is we deliberately don't want to. Because if we have to admit it, we then become accountable to God, and our behavior, we become accountable to Him. But people don't want that. So we have all sorts of alternatives rather than believing what God says is true. He says in 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, and uh, I'll, I'll come to a close in a moment. I just want to make a couple of comments. He says here, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, just like it did in Noah's day. The heavens will disappear with a roar. I want you to pay attention to that. The heavens will disappear. The elements will be destroyed by what? Fire. Because God said he'll never destroy the earth. We'll look at that next week. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You see, what we're trying to do here in today's world is we're obsessed with the environment. God's not obsessed with the environment. He destroyed it during the flood, and he says, guess what? I'm going to destroy it again. Not by flood, but by fire. The question is not the environment and all the animals and all your little silly ideas. The question is, do you know me, and are you on the ark? And you know what? You can come in at any time. That's what the Bible talks about us. Listen here as I close. The Bible talks about us being in Christ, not with Christ. Because when you're in Christ, that means you are truly, you know him, you've gone through the door, you're in church, not just in the building, you're in the kingdom, you're living in the kingdom, you're trusting him by faith, Noah built the ark, he trusted what God said was true, and he came into that vessel, and that vessel saved him. Big question today is, have you come into the ark? Have you come through the door? Choice is yours. You can't wait for the rain to come. You can't wait for the earth to, to, to melt with fervent heat and then decide. No, then it's too late. You've got to come in right now. And if you're a Christian, if you've been in the ark, but now you're on the deck, or you've gone onto the beach, <laughs> it's time to get back in. Say, Lord, I'm in. There's one door. There's one means of salvation. I'm going to trust you. Thank you.
We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.